Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you would please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, you can also look on in your bulletins in Matthew chapter 1. I, for one, am just thankful to be with you this morning. As you can probably tell from my voice, I have been under the weather uh, this week. Some of you read my rather hyperbolic pastoral notes this morning. I was hopped up on something when I wrote that, I presume, I'm presuming. It was one of those moments, it, you know, I've, I really, you know, I didn't feel, I don't think I've ever been as sick as I was sick uh, this last week. Um, Christy says I say that every time I get sick. Um, maybe true. I was afraid I was going to die. I was like, the Lord, this is how you're going to take me. This is a seasonal flu. I'm not, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. And then I was afraid he wasn't going to take me. I was afraid I was going to live like this forever. <laughs> this was going to be its own condemnation. I say all of that to say, um, you know, there's, there's, it's a little bit of a trapeze act this morning. I may or may not make it through the sermon with this voice. Uh, my hope is uh, to be able to do so. You may be blessed with a much shorter sermon than you anticipated. Um, and um, for that, we'll just call it a Christmas miracle if it happens. Um, but I want to give you a heads up. I have, some, I have some cough drops here in this pocket, also some, some throat coat, you know, some tea, hot tea. I don't know how I would manage that during this moment, but I have it in case I, in case I need it. Um, but if I need to cough or something, it's going to be very loud. I'm just going to warn you ahead of time, and I won't know. It's going to come out of nowhere, like the cough is going to come out of nowhere. So um, just be ready. Just be ready. We're on an adventure together. Matthew chapter 1, we're in the ongoing series entitled Name Above All Names. We've been in the genealogy of Matthew in the first 17 verses of this gospel over the last two weeks together looking at Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, and Jesus Christ, the son of David. And notice today we're looking at Jesus Christ, the son of God. Jesus Christ, the son of God. And we see this really marvelously displayed in this opening narrative section of Matthew chapter 1, Matthew 1, 18 through 25, and it is this section that is affectionately known as Matthew's retelling of the birth story of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's give our attention to it. Matthew 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we rejoice in your servant Matthew, who has provided for us a wonderful retelling of the story of the conception of Jesus Christ and the events leading up to Christ's birth. Today, once again, we would ask that you would come by the power of the Holy Spirit and you would be mindful of the fact that these are familiar words for so many of us here in this room, which in some cases makes them difficult to hear. Hear with a sense of wonder and marvel. We pray, Father, that today through the Spirit, you would help us to hear aright and to behold yet again your gracious love as you have provided for us, your Son, yes, the Savior of the world. Come and meet with us in this passage, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's only two of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of those four, there's only two of the gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, who actually give retellings of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you look at those two retellings, the one here in Matthew and the one in Luke, one of the things that immediately strikes you is how different the two retellings are. For instance, here in Matthew's retelling of the birth of Jesus, there's no nativity, there's no trip to Bethlehem, There's no shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. Other than a passing comment in verse 25 where we're told that Joseph did not know Mary until the child was born, there's actually no details regarding the birth narrative itself at all in Matthew's gospel. Luke goes long. Long in the nativity scene, long in the circumstances leading up to the birth narrative itself. Much more in a storied fashion, whereas Mark here tells us, well, just the facts. And many of the facts not related to the birth at all. Why the difference between these two gospel writers? Well, of course goes back to their aims and their purposes, why they're writing their particular uh, gospel, who they're writing to, what they want to accomplish. But for our purposes today, I want you to see that Mark, or excuse me, that Luke and Matthew are providing two unique vantage points. They're helping us to see and understand the birth of Jesus through the eyes of two different characters in the Christmas story. Luke primarily tells the birth story through the eyes of Mary. And so, uh, not unsurprisingly, 
we get a much greater emphasis on the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Matthew tells us the birth story through the eyes of Joseph, which is why the focus here in the text is not on the birth of Jesus so much as on the impact of the news of the pregnancy and the impact that that had upon Joseph specifically and all of the deliberative process that Joseph went through to determine what to do. As we look at this text today and then also uh, next week together when we gather on Christmas Eve, we'll unfold several more uh, deep and profound truths from, from Matthew chapter 1 next week when we gather. My goal today as we look at this text is to really see it as I believe Matthew intended through Joseph's eyes, to, as it were, walk in Joseph's shoes through the unfolding events of the nativity scene and all of the news leading up to it. And in order to do that, I want to consider the verses before us in just three ways today. I want you to see first the devastating discovery. I want you to see secondly, the shocking revelation. And I want you to see thirdly, an obedient response. A devastating discovery, a shocking revelation, and an obedient response, all centering around the experience of Joseph. Now, there are another number of elements in Matthew's story that strikes modern ears quite uh, strange. Uh, for instance, Joseph is referred to as Mary's husband in verse 19, while in the previous verse, in verse 18, we're told that Mary and Joseph are betrothed. So is he really her husband? And then after hearing the news that Mary is with child and Joseph knowing that this child is not his, we're told in verse 19 that Joseph resolved to divorce her quietly. But if they are not fully married, we should be asking the question as modern readers, why is there a need for a divorce? Well, this is one of those times where knowing the the cultural context, knowing something of the ancient uh, Near East is essential to making sense of the text of Scripture. Matthew is using those terms like betrothed and husband and divorce, not in the modern understandings, but in the context of an arranged marriage in the ancient Near East. The historical details before um, Mary and Joseph's betrothal are not given to us in the text, but it's without question that Joseph's father and Mary's father long before uh, this moment got together and decided that their, their two children would one day be married. And when they were old enough, 17 or 18, usually for the man, 12 or 13 for the girl, uh, they would enter into betrothal which is what we see here in the text. And betrothal in the first century is, well, far more significant than what we would call an engagement in uh, a modern-day sense. Uh, during betrothal, money and property would have already have been exchanged. Uh, legal declarations would have been made surrounding the couple. They had already taken up the titles of husband and wife. They were legally married. And yet in their legal marriage, they had not yet come together. That is, of course, a biblical language for the consummation 
of their relationship. The betrothal period was nearly a year long, and in that year-long betrothal period, it was a time of testing, a testing for the man to be sure that he would be a provider for his soon-to-be wife and, and family. But it was also a time of testing for the purity of the woman. What this means is that in the entering of this story, Mary and Joseph are at the tail end of a very long and costly process of what we might call marriage making. They're legally husband and wife at this point. All they're waiting for is the completion of the betrothal period. And in almost no time, they will consummate their marriage and they will ride off, so to speak, into the sunset. And it's at just this moment that we're told that Mary was found to be with child. It's a devastating discovery. In Luke's account, when Mary first hears the news, yes, from the lips of an angel, that she will have a child, her question is understandable. It's mechanical. It's biological. How is this possible since I am a virgin? But if you'll notice in Matthew's account, where we're looking through Joseph's eyes, there's no question about mechanics or biology here. Joseph assumes that he knows how all of this happened. It happened the way that this always happens. His concerns don't have to do with the, the whereabouts or the hows. His concerns had to do with the steps that he now needs to take in light of this devastating discovery. In Luke's account, Mary converses with the, the angel and, and we see a, a wonderful poem that she writes that we refer to now as the, the Magnificat as she submits herself to the will of the Lord. But notice in Matthew's account, Joseph doesn't speak a word. In fact, there is no word in all of the gospel accounts ever falling from the lips of Joseph. He is an utterly quiet man as far as the text is concerned. Instead, what Matthew gives us is Joseph's character and his internal deliberations, heartbreaking and yet merciful. Being a just man, Matthew writes, and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. What a devastating discovery. What a sad state of affairs. And as readers, we think to ourselves, and for such a good man, Joseph is such a good man, as spoken of here as just, not wanting to throw the book at Mary, no scarlet A for her. No, he wants to put her away quietly. He does not want to cause her any shame. Now, Matthew doesn't, well, bend to our curiosities. He doesn't tell us, did, did Matthew or did, did Joseph at some point have a breakdown? Was he angry? Uh, did, he, did he weep? Did he question God? No, we're not privy to any of that. What we're privy to is the fact that this man displays tremendous maturity, a godliness that 
speaks of a man who has walked with the Lord and who is willing, even from a place of unbearable hurt, to not hurt in return, but to instead, as much as possible, extend kindness and love, which I will say, in reading the narrative, makes the narrative all the more painful. There's something sad, of course, about seeing any kind of marriage fall apart, but it's particularly sad when you see such a righteous man who has sought to do everything right at this point receive such devastating news, and he can't help but think the worst about the one in whom he was to commit his whole of his life to, respond to her in the most generous and gracious way. It actually makes the narrative that much sadder, almost that much more tragic. This narrative is showing to us a devastating discovery as we look at the news of this coming child through the eyes of Joseph. But we're told, secondly, that there is a shocking revelation in this text. We see it in verses 20 to 21. While Joseph is in the midst of these deliberations, considering what it is that he ought to do, God intervenes. We're told an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now we will take some time next week upon that little phrase, from the Holy Spirit. There's so much to say about that phrase. It deserves some extended reflection. But as we look through the eyes of Joseph today, I want you to feel something of a roller coaster. A man who has just dipped into the darkest Hours maybe of his, of his life thus far, now as he sleeps, has an angel of the Lord appear to him, and all of the sudden he is told that that child which is being formed even now inside of Mary, that he knows is not his, is also not of another man. That at the moment that he has finally resolved to divorce Mary is the moment where the angel comes and says, no, please think again. Please think again. It's not as it appears, Joseph. The life growing inside of Mary is from the Holy Spirit. God the Spirit is the source of this child's life. This is none other than God's Son dwelling inside of Mary. All the implications of that statement immense, of course, But as we consider the purposes for our own day, I want you to see something of of how true knowledge comes, something of how a shocking revelation can change the way we view everything. I want you to see today how Joseph, a righteous man, took a circumstance that if any one of us found ourselves involved in, would have drawn very similar conclusions. For we would have drawn those conclusions by virtue of what we know about nature and about life. 
Now, we might not have acted as Joseph acted. We might have gotten, well, unjust and, and got immediately on the horn with our, our lawyer and begun to position the, the bank accounts in particular ways and, and looking back at our documents as to how things would be divvied up so that we can be sure that we get the most out of this divorce. That might have been how some of us responded. Now, we don't see that, of course, here on this page, but we would have drawn the kinds of conclusions that undoubtedly Joseph himself drew. And then in the moment that he had drawn those conclusions, divine revelation comes. And the painfulness of the circumstance all of a sudden takes on a light that is full of hope and of change. This shocking revelation from the Lord reveals that something much bigger is afoot. It really is a test case in interpretation when you look through the eyes of Joseph. He had interpreted the whole circumstances with the, the eyes in his head and with the mind in his head. But then when the angel of the Lord came, he learned to interpret the situation by the light of the word of God. So many of the things in our life we interpret with the eyes in our head and the mind that's in our head and we draw all kinds of conclusions around them. And we ne'er think, what does the revelation of God say about this? What does the word of God say about this? Would it help me to see this by a different light? Joseph interpretive's process was that Mary's pregnancy was evidence of her sexual unfaithfulness, which meant divorce was an appropriate response. But Joseph was wrong. Mary's pregnancy was evidence not of Mary's unfaithfulness, but of her favor. That's the way the, the writer Luke puts it. When the angel shows up on the scene in Luke's gospel, Mary, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Out of all the women in human history, Mary, you have been chosen by God to carry his son, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. What looked like an utter crisis was actually a wonderful, amazing, favorable consolation. Far from this being news wrecking to Joseph and Mary's marriage, God would use this very pregnancy to bring about a perfect marriage. The marriage between his own son and, yes, the church of Jesus Christ. A marriage that would last for all eternity was being woven in some very real sense within the recesses of Mary's own womb. There is one thing to look at life and life's seeming tragedies, to look at life and all of its twists and turns, and to do so simply with the eyes in your head and with the mind that's in your head. And there's another thing entirely, to look at life with the lens of the revelation of God's word. Now, in most cases, for the tragedies that happen in your life and in my life, for the crises moment where we think to ourselves, why in the world is this happening? We don't have an angel of the Lord show up when we're sleeping and communicate the specificity of divine revelation to us. 
No, the Lord reserves these kinds of moments for special turning points in redemptive history. But the Lord has given you 66 books. He's given you his word of which is the interpretive lens through which we are to understand everything that happens in all of life. As we approach this season, there's undoubtedly things in your own life, loose ends, pains, sufferings, hurts. Isn't this the time of the year where we feel more palpably heartbreak than at any other point of the year? And might it be that our dwelling, though, upon those things uh, might be more just simply within the emotions of the losses and we have not yet traced those realities unto what we know to be true from the light of God's glorious grace written in his word. You see, Joseph was going to call it quits until the revelation of God's word brought a light that said redemption is coming. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, and you have sufferings in your life that have gone untied there's no bow on them. There's no easy consolation or resolution. Part of what I think you see as you look through the lens of Joseph's eyes, yes, not immediate consolation for you and I necessarily today, but an ultimate consolation is coming. That there will be a day on which the Lord will speak and we will see through the Lord's revelation in the fullness of time in the new heavens and the new earth that yes, even those things which were most painful at the moments we thought our lives were falling apart at the deepest level that the Lord was actually moving things along towards its glorious appointed end. That the salvation of the world, the sanctification of his people and the glory of Christ's name over all of the earth was its ultimate end. I was reflecting just yesterday, just a little bit with Christy over the fact that, well, today is our youngest daughter, Lila's third birthday. Unbelievably, from our vantage point, that we would have been three years ago in the hospital today, watching that young gift being brought into our family's life. Well, for kicks and grins, I looked back at my communication to you as a congregation earlier that year when we first found out the very surprising news that we were having number five in the Jordan family. And I told you about the ups and downs of looking at this new, shocking, what really felt like in the moment, a, well, devastating discovery that this, this young child would more than likely be Down syndrome with a lot of health issues and lots of concerns. And we as parents struggling and, and weeping and, and with sadness and with question, Lord, why? What's going on? What do we do? And then tracing it to the Word of God and then seeing it by the light of God's Word and saying, wait, all that our God decrees to do, and all that he promises to do is right, isn't it? He has shown us, hasn't he, in the word that if he is willing to give up his own son for us, how will he not also graciously with him give us all things? And in the moments of those sorrows that didn't immediately pass away, and I will say they still come, in the moments when they come, what do you do? Well, do you just try to buck up and work your way through it? 
Do you just look through the eyes of reason? Do you trust simply in therapists or in medical, modern medicine? Or do you turn to the pages of Scripture and you trust the God who holds her and everyone in the palm of his hand? Do you see a devastating discovery can become actually, through the lens of the Word of God, a comforting revelation where you begin to understand that far from what we know, God has a plan. And in the glories of his plan, it will be a blessing to all of his people. You see, that's how we see Joseph actually respond in this text. Not only does he have a devastating discovery and this shocking revelation, but thirdly and finally, we see a faithful response. A faithful response. Notice verse 23. As soon as Joseph awakes from sleep, he did just what the angel of the Lord commanded him. I love that. He did just what the angel of the Lord commanded him. I want you to see first Joseph's faith. Joseph's faith. He didn't say... That sounds weird, and I don't know if I believe that or not. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He heard the word of the Lord, and maybe against the way that he felt, he believed it. Maybe against the way that he felt, he believed it. Did you know that's also a very much a sign of Christian maturity? The sign of Christian maturity is that you don't trust the feelings when they come. Yes, you acknowledge them. You can listen to them to the, to the degree to see sometimes what is their faithlessness and how they'll often be lying to you. Listen enough to diagnose your own heart and its problems for sure, but then trace it to the truth of God's word. No, God says this on this situation. And regardless of how this is going to feel, no one around us is going to believe this, Mary. No one around us is going to believe this. Everyone is going to, for the rest of our lives, it'll be this kind of shadow. Yeah, jo- yeah, Joseph is not the child. Sure, he's not the father of the child. Oh no, I'm going to do exactly what the Lord has commanded me. I'm going to take Mary as my wife. I'm going to believe, even though it's not going to make it easy. It's not as if we're going to wave a magic wand and it's all going to be simple from here. I'm going to believe what the Lord has commanded because the Lord is worthy to be believed. The Lord is worthy to be believed. Notice, secondly, the immediacy of Joseph's obedience. As soon as Joseph awakes from sleep, right, the immediacy of his obedience, he didn't lag behind. He didn't wait. He didn't, he didn't think, oh, well, I'll, when I get around to it, I'll, I'll, I'll take Mary as, as, as my wife and drag his feet as, you know, when... As our children often do when we ask them to go clean their, clean their room, right? They take the long route to get there. No, as soon as he rose from his sleep, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded. He didn't pause or wait. He acted immediately on the Lord's command. And then thirdly, notice the thoroughness of Joseph's obedience. He didn't fudge any part of what God had commanded him. In fact, even after he took Mary as his wife officially, notice he did this leading up to the birth of Jesus. It says he took Mary as his wife officially, that he might be the one who actually, as the angel said, would name Jesus, would mention Jesus' name, probably a reference to the time in which Jesus would be presented at the temple for his circumcision. That even after he took Mary as his wife officially, he didn't rush to consummate the relationship. Do you notice that? 
so as to confuse or muddy anything. He waited until the birth of the baby and the name of Jesus was given until the fullness of that marriage could be made. Now what's remarkable is this text really ends with that little reference there of Joseph mentioning the name of the baby, Jesus. I said a second ago, it's probably a reference to the presentation of the temple. If you were to glance back at Luke chapter 2, you'll remember the story of Simeon and you'll remember them bringing Jesus there. It's the moment where the name of a child is given. Um, that's the moment being described here. And it would have been a very special moment for, for Joseph. And we don't think of it very much in this way. Because it would have been the moment that Joseph would have become the official adopted father of Jesus Christ. It would have been in that moment that Joseph would have become the official adopted father of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, Joseph is not the father of Jesus. We know that's by the Holy Spirit. But Joseph became the adopted father of the Lord Jesus Christ and played a vital role in redemptive history. We don't think of it in this way. We usually think of Joseph more like a prop in the Christmas story. He's just there saying nothing and, and not really being very vital, except did you notice how the angel referred to him in the text? Did you, did you notice it? When the angel first appeared to him in the text, the angel said of him, Joseph, son of David. Joseph, son of David. Now you probably ran past that and you didn't think anything about it because you hear that phrase all the time when you're reading in the Gospels. You especially, you especially read it this time of year. But did you know this is the only place in all of the Gospels where that phrase son of David is used by anyone other than the application to the Lord Jesus Christ? The only other person who ever receives this particular description in all of the Gospels is Joseph himself. And it's only after this particular reference that it's a reference to Jesus. Now, why is that important? Well, do you remember the genealogy? Do you remember the last couple of weeks that we've been spending time in the genealogy of the book of Matthew? Do you remember how important it was that Jesus came as a part of the lineage of Abraham? He had to be a son of Abraham. He also had to be a son of, of David. Why was he going to be a, a son of David if he doesn't have an earthly father? How is he going to be of the lineage, the royal line of David if, if the, he's, he's not fathered, humanly speaking, out of the line of of David, well, only if he has an adopted father, you say. Only if he has an adopted father. The father that he has here in this text, his name, it's Joseph. Yes, Jesus wasn't a son of David because someone in the Davidic line fathered him. The Holy Spirit fathered Jesus. No, the only clear evidence in the Bible that we have gained is that the connection between Jesus and the royal line comes through the adopted father, even Joseph himself. You see, God is always doing a million things. And we get the chance to see a couple of them along the way. 
And your life and story, which is so important to you, you're like the lead character in it, is actually just a small part of a much larger story that God is telling. I'm sure Joseph had to learn that again throughout this whole revelation. That God was up to something much larger with his soon-to-be marriage with Mary than he and Mary ever imagined. They didn't ask for a life full of drama, for a marriage to start under the suspicion of infidelity, to be, as it were, one who expected to have his own child uh, through Mary, of which the Lord would grant later, but to see that he would become an adopted father of a child whose birth is like no other is a part of the God story that is weaving through Joseph's life and is weaving from Joseph's life and legacy into ours. This Sunday, on this third Sunday of Advent, as we remember the hope that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to take the mysteries, the mysteries of your life, the tragedies and the sufferings of, of your life, and I want to encourage you to trace them. I want you to trace them to what you know about your God, about his promises, about what you know fulfillment is headed towards. And I want you to believe against what you may feel. Believe against what you may feel that he is up to good in the places where you feel like the worst is happening. For in the moment of what was the worst moment in Joseph's life, the Lord was bringing about the best of news. Joseph would only see a part of that during the course of his life. We don't know what happens ultimately to Joseph. He doesn't show up at the cross. Only Mary is there. Throughout the text of Scripture, he has a few fleeting moments, and again, is wordless. And yet this figure, somewhat shrouded in mystery, this, this carpenter, who's of the line of David, who had to travel to Bethlehem, to the city of David to be counted, so that Jesus could be born in that little outhouse of an inn there on that first Christmas night. This small out-of-the-town character of Joseph in the heartbreaks of his life are being used to spawn the greatest news that the world will ever see. And if that's the case for a man like Joseph in a story like the gospel, don't you believe we can trust God with the loose ends in your story? In the places where all the pain and tragedy comes crashing down. Know that that won't be the final word on your story. It wasn't on Joseph's either. Don't give up on the story that's being told. Your life has been purchased. It's been bought with a price. You are no longer your own. But you are Christ Jesus. Walk by faith and not by sight. Listen to his commands and do all that he instructs. I can assure you, 
the best and most surprising ending is headed your way. Father in heaven, we pray that you would encourage and assure us of these realities and truths in the midst of a variety of sufferings that plague all of our lives in different dimensions and degrees. Be mindful today especially of those who feel the bitternesses of grief, the loss of broken dreams, of fractured relationships, of sorrows that are almost, well, unspeakable in nature. Help us to know, Lord, that you are the kind of God who takes unspeakable tragedies when our lives are falling apart and you are the one who promises that you will carry this thread through to a surprising twist of an ending where we will see you face to face and all of the road that we traveled and yes, even the darkest of those valleys will be cascading with such brilliant light that we will know then in that moment that each of the steps were worth it if it brought us to here. Oh, Lord, bring us to there by faith until the day you bring us there by sight. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.